are listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Okay, so our teaching text for today comes from Matthew 13. It's the parable of the weeds. Starting in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, 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 okay. up? (laughs) Hi, my name is Will Thomas, and I'm one of the elders here. I'm uh, married to Alessandra, and we have a son, Oliver. You might have seen him running around here, sucking his thumb. Uh, We host our community group, uh, CG4 on tour in the house. Where are we at, CG4? We don't actually lead the group, though we host. It's a brilliant little setup that makes it more sustainable. So we host Alex Zubak. Alex, where are you at? She leads. Anthony Jafaris as well leads. And we rotate who cooks, and everyone actually is a really good cook. The food slaps. (laughs) Our group has truly been one of the most life-giving and perfect examples of what I love about the church. You don't pick who you hang out with at church. Who's going to be here right now? You didn't know when you were showing up. Who signs up for your community group? You don't get to choose. That's the thing about this table. Everyone is welcome. But there's this intrinsic connection that we all have here today. I look at familiar and unfamiliar faces alike, but when we're worshiping together, there's that feeling of unity that I can't get anywhere else. And for those listening on Spotify later, the millions of people listening on Spotify, (laughs) it's a hot and sunny day here in Brooklyn but there's AC, hi mom. (laughs) So I'm honored to be with you here today and I believe the Holy Spirit, not me, I believe the Holy Spirit has some words to say and I'm gonna do my best to share those with you today clearly and concisely. Thanks Patrick for taking a shot on me. (laughs) So in this parable, the farmer plants seeds of wheat and then an enemy comes and sows weeds. Then the servants come and ask the farmer and say, hey, can we just pull up these weeds? The farmer, though, knows an enemy did this, and it's kind of too late to go back and fix it. So rooting up the weeds would really damage the wheat. So the weeds and the wheat must be separated at the harvest. And that's it. Band, come on up. (laughs) Just kidding. 
Jesus was speaking to the crowds again when he delivered this passage. So he's sitting on the hillside, he's speaking to the crowds. Many among them are probably wondering if the kingdom of heaven has truly arrived. Is Jesus the Messiah? If he is, then why haven't we triumphed more overtly? Why isn't Jesus more universally beloved? Last week, we heard about the parable of the sower describing four different scenarios where the seed fails to grow in three and only succeeds in one. Well, this week here at Oaks BK, we're back with more agricultural references from Jesus. You know, it's a little crazy that agricultural references are like crazy to us because like just 100 years ago or 10% on the way back to Jesus, everyone was still subsisting off of an agricultural society. But I don't know the first thing about weeds and wheat. So whether or not a seed grows, though, for them was literally life and death. You know, I don't really have a green thumb. A lot of that is just kind of out of my zone. I've got my neighbor Peyton here. He's the green thumb in the house. He helps me out. Recently, we moved, and I tried to make some indoor plants into outdoor plants. Don't make that mistake, at least not during a heat wave. So here in this passage, Jesus is highlighting just how closely weeds and wheat can resemble one another, and when grown close together, can have their root systems intermingle. So the idea of the servants in this passage is to purify the crops and eliminate the weeds. So in Jesus' society, this was actually a common refrain where zealots and even some of his disciples sometimes were eager for this to happen. Historically, this has kind of been one of the three common Christian reactions to culture. Either they've been defensive against, they've tried to have relevance to, or they've tried to have purity from. The servants here were expressing that purity from mentality. This is the common response of Benedictine monks, Anabaptists, and other groups that kind of remove themselves from culture. Of these three ways, I'm curious which way that you maybe resonate with. I'd say for our culture here has been highly deferential too, typically seeking relevance to culture, whereas the other response in this country has constantly been defensive against. Maybe you've heard of Christian nationalism. James Davidson Hunter in his book To Change the World posits a fourth way, faithful presence, or what we call merciful presence here at Oaks. This is a way of stepping into culture, building deep relationships, and participating in civic life, showing and reflecting Christ's love through your words and actions. So why does God allow evil and suffering? Here in this passage, it provides, I believe, a solid answer. If the weeds and wheats are allowed to grow together, here is why Jesus and God does not allow those weeds to be ripped away. Because the only way to root out all evil is through ultimate judgment and recreation of the universe. Evil truly resides in every person, and we all must be made completely new. So there's a glossary of terms here a few verses later when the disciples inquire to Jesus about what the meaning of this parable is. And Jesus lays out a nice glossary of terms here. So the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Okay, so now that we've got that in our tool belts, what else can we extract from this passage? The one symbol that wasn't super clear to me on the the surface was the weeds. Are those people that are in the church or people that are out of the church? Are we living, are we talking about in the church, outside of the church? I think it's meant to be both. And I think there's this common thread of 
delayed judgment, not only in this passage, but throughout the Bible, where Jesus is emphasizing that he is delaying the ultimate judgment. He's not pulling out the weeds, he's allowing them to live among the wheat until the end. This, con this concept of delayed judgment, also known as grace, is quite common, where judgment ultimately comes from God because he abhor abhors evil and longs to destroy it while the enemy is brought into existence. Another example is the people of Sodom who were given several chances to repent, but they did not and God destroyed the city as Lot and his family fled. Before that, we also see the theme of delayed judgment with Noah building the ark. In both cases, there is a time of grace, probably more so in the case of Noah, where he built the ark for around 100 years. I think it was a 100 years object lesson that predicted judgment and offered the chance to repent. In the parable of the weeds, there is a delay in judgment to protect the good seed and grain from what I think would be collateral damage of pulling up the weeds. God allows counterfeit Christians to exist among the church, and I think to remove them would be damaging to the church, even though they might bear no fruit, and really, they just kind of get in the way. Where do you see yourself in this passage? I believe it's important for us to examine if we are weeds or if we are wheat. Are we bearing kingdom fruit, or are we choking the roots and getting in the way? God made the earth and everything in it. The enemy came and introduced evil. Why not abolish evil? I think so many people are dependent upon the weeds, even children of God. Imagine if all of your friends who don't follow Christ were taken away from you. It might make you grow disillusioned and everything you thought you knew about the world, your worldview would collapse and you'd be left searching for something different. I think the Christian response to Judgment Day should be this. The fire and brimstone preachers of the Great Awakenings they often use shock and awe, bombastic language, in some cases outright fear to convince people that they need to turn or burn, turn from their wicked ways or be burned like the weeds. That plus the image of actual fire and brimstone raining down on Sodom, plus the idea of judgment coming down with eternal ramifications, is enough to make anyone run and hide. However, our response as Christians should be to glory in this day when all evil is expelled all hatred, all worry, frustration, suffering, death, sickness, disunity will be gone forever. God will transform the universe anew. So what part of the story are we in now? I think zooming out a little, this story technically runs the full gamut of the entire universe from the very beginning to the very end. The world was created perfectly, then the enemy introduced evil, the first sin happened, now we're living amongst weeds until the new heaven and earth come, until kingdom fully meets earth. So with that in mind, what are we supposed to do living amongst weeds planted by the enemy? I think of it as living among the culture of the day, especially this particularly strong culture of New York City. The way that we interact with the common culture defines ultimately what we believe, the information we intake, the opinions that we read about, the signals that are embedded in everyday conversation and media. I'm so careful to watch the world through Oliver's eyes. It's pretty disconcerting to watch an 18-month-old eyes flicker and dart while watching a screen or just staring at other kids playing in a water fountain, just soaking it all in. Last week, I actually lost my wallet. TLDR, a good Samaritan picked it up. <laughs> I think this is a church that doesn't need to explain what TLDR means. This good Samaritan picked it up. They held on to it for four days 
and they turned it into my old building that the address on my driver's license had listed. But by then, I'd already canceled all my credit cards and ordered a new driver's license, and since there was no cash in it, it was nearly worthless. But while I was searching high and low for it, I was wondering if Oliver had snagged it and hid it somewhere. So I got down low, getting my eye level to about 34.5 inches off the ground. (laughs) Very hard for me. I looked under furniture and in containers, behind bookshelves. I even looked in the freezer. It was a unique experience to see what he sees. It's of course impossible to know what's going on inside of his beautiful little mind as I watch him but he is living life to the max at all times. He's either fast asleep and he's engaging with it seems like 90% of all of his muscles at all times. His eyes never glaze over, his feet don't ever stop shuffling. Alessandra equates it to like a guy in a garage. It's like, what's he doing out there? (laughs) Nobody knows. (laughs) He's just putting around, he's moving stuff here and there, picking it up, putting it back, I don't know where. I just blame him for anything I lose at this point. Sorry, buddy. But us parents, we're so conscious of how our children's brains are being formed. Thankfully for screen time so far, Oliver's made it simple on us. He only watches Encanto, usually in Spanish. But when you become a parent, you can't help but think about how you were parented and consider what you'll do the same and what you'll do way different. Something embedded in me, though, that I want to do similarly since my earliest days was the love for God and his church. Indeed, my mom, shout out mom, dropped me off at the nursery the very first Sunday after I was born. Literally three days after I was born. I, I thought that was just common what everybody did until like I saw the trauma that childbirth is and I was like, you don't ever have to have any more kids, you don't ever have to go outside, like that was insane. But then later in adolescence, I had my daily devotional for teens. Anybody have a daily devotional for teens? It was just one page, it was a quick little verse, little application. I went through most days. Each day was a different scripture and how it could impact me. The applications were kind of cheesy, but the truth was there. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord, teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. That's straight from scripture. That's straight from the Psalms. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about the love of the law. In fact, a lot of Psalms is about meditating on the word of the Lord when much of the word at that time was just straight law. And so I'm thankful for those formative years where the scripture was embedded in me and I can recall that as I need. So I'm curious, what's your personal gospel? John 3.16 is a common Sunday school response to what the gospel is. Um, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But why do you come to church? Why do you pray or worship God, especially in New York City, when like less than 1% of anybody decides to live this way? So I'd love if you would turn to someone next to you, and in just the next few minutes, I want you to vocalize that. How is God at work in your life? How would you answer some of those questions? Why do you come to church? Why do you pray? Why do you worship God? Why do you need God in your life? So we're just gonna take a few minutes and I'll come right back.
Okay, how was that? How was that, everybody? Did something come to your mind? Was that? Okay, okay. How was that, everybody? Did that come naturally? Was that easy? Was that difficult? It's kind of hard. I think I challenged myself to try to think of what mine would be, and I think kind of depends on the situation, kind of depends on the context. But I've been challenging myself more and more to try to talk about my faith or to talk about what I believe of eternal significance I think as I've gotten older, as I've become a father, as I've stepped into leadership at the church, and I just think um, it's good to be able to answer that question, so I hope it was useful. How do you tell the difference between weeds and wheat? After Jesus gives the glossary of terms to his disciples a few verses later, he details how his angels were weed, he details how his angels will weed out all evil. The weeds will be thrown into the fiery furnace, like the one in Daniel. And that is where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the righteous, the wheat, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. So this difference is pretty important, I'd say, between the weeds and the wheat. The wheat bears fruit, but the weeds do not. How can you know if you're among the wheat producing fruit? I think of things like caring for someone less fortunate than you, making a friend that doesn't look like you or have the same background as you, not thinking too highly of yourself, encouraging others, glorifying in their successes instead of being jealous, tempering your anger and desire for control, resting in the peace that passes all understanding. So here's some stats about how the church is like. So regular church attendees are more than twice as likely to adopt a child. Regular church attenders are the only group who saw mental health increase in 2020. If you're a regular church attender, you're more than 30% more likely to report being satisfied sexually. Regular church attenders, they give. <laughs> this is the TLD crowd, TLDR crowd. Regular church attenders, they give exponentially more of their time and money to the poor. Attending church will even decrease your mortality by 39%, adding seven years to your life. Go us. <laughs> Within 90 days of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, just a single denomination, the Southern Baptist, alone donated over $10 million to Ukraine. $10 million in the first 90 days. That's the kind of fruit I'm talking about. As I'm growing older, I'm becoming a little bit more mystical. For me, it's more fun to let my imagination run wild as I try to sort out the difference between free will and God's providence. It's also more fun to pray small prayers and then see if they come to pass. Like when we're about to board a plane and we're not sitting together. Lord, please help us be able to switch seats and sit together. One time after we prayed that, the gate agent saw that I was upgraded to Economy Plus. And then the gate agent actually slid Alessandra and Oliver right in next to me in Economy Plus. <laughs> Another simple prayer could be, oh, Lord, today was really bad. I lost a couple of exciting deals. That interview didn't go well. I've got a throbbing headache. I got rained on. Can you please give me a better day tomorrow? 
And through the prayer of examine at the end of the day, you can go through how things went. Where was God at work? Where did, he need, where did you need him? What did he teach you? Where did he come through for you? And then you can catch when those prayer requests are heard. Anyway, the mystical side of me led me on a biblical journey recently. I don't necessarily recommend this, but I just opened the Bible to the first passage and said, God, speak to me. It happened to be 1 Kings 14 and reads as such. 1 Kings 14. In the second year of Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 when he became king, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father David had done. In everything, he followed the example of his father Joash. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Okay, so this book is about Israel's kings. Some were great, some were bad, most were pretty average. It was a real bell curve of kings. If you catch it, at the end, it's similar to our scripture today. The idols and false gods were not removed. Um, but then I tried again in the New Testament. Open the Bible, see what's open, see what's up. God, what are you trying to tell me? That led me to Matthew 3. Seriously. First Kings into Matthew 3, which is Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came to preach in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, the kingdom has come near. This is who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. People went out to Jerusalem and all Judea, confessing their sins and baptized in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we've got Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Wow. That's very similar to our passage today. The theme being more common than I realized of delayed judgment, but judgment ultimately comes. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Are you afraid of the Lord? When was the last time you trembled at his name? When have you felt the chill up your spine when you get a sense of his power? When I got COVID last year, I quarantined for 10 days for my family. It was through gracious friends who let me stay at their apartments while they were out of town that was even possible. It was an unprecedented time in the midst of an unprecedented time, right? Having an empty apartment all to yourself, all that time was kind of crazy. Side note on the use of unprecedented times, go talk to your parents and grandparents about their unprecedented times and see how they stack up. My parents grew up watching commercials on TV about Russia bombing the U.S. with nuclear bombs. My grandparents were born at the height of Nazi power when the Germans were cutting through Europe like butter. 
transforming an entire continent with no end in sight. Anyway, give Ecclesiastes a read sometimes. The smartest person to ever live, King Solomon, said it over and over again. There's nothing new under the sun. But yeah, I'm quarantined, trying not to breathe on anyone, and I thought, hey, I could use this time to kickstart a new habit. Besides, I'd already reached the end of Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, HBO, even YouTube was showing limits. <laughs> so I took to memorizing some Psalms. They're actually really short, and you can memorize one in like 15 minutes. Psalm 8 for me really hits. When I gaze up at the heavens, the moon and the stars, which you have set in your place, who is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. The Lord formed the stars in the heavens. Brian, could you pull up that picture? Have you seen this picture? Pretty sick. It's from the James Webb Space Telescope. The first designs for the James Webb was published in 1997. Who was alive in 1997? <laughs> Woo! Old people. I don't really even understand what I'm looking at here, and I don't think a lot of scientists do, but I can't help but just gaze in awe. So the first designs published in 97, it launched on Christmas Day last year at a total cost of $10 billion. So 25 years of work, $10 billion went into making this picture. It's designed primarily to conduct infrared astronomy to check out the beginnings of the universe and potentially habitable planets outside of our solar system. And because of redshift caused by the Doppler effect, we're able to see light as it was 13.7 billion years ago. Can you go to the next one, Brian? This is another picture of a nebula. I just can't help but say, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. I'm gonna ask the band to come back up and call everyone to the table. Recently, uh, we had some friends over uh, while we we're still setting up our new apartment. They brought their kids over. There were shelves to be hung, lights to be installed, unopened boxes stacked to the ceiling. And the first thing one said was, you've got a lot of arranging to do. Funny enough, that same kid at our old apartment upon first entry declared, this apartment's a lot smaller than ours. <laughs> so for me, I feel most drawn to the table when I've got some arranging to do. I've got questions, I've got doubts, I've got anxieties, and I just wanna put them on God. Last week, it was about an overbearing boss and feeling like I couldn't keep working at this same company. I'm just being too micromanaged. Or maybe you're seeking wisdom. Wisdom and worship go hand in hand. Sometimes I come to church and I'm having a problem I need to solve and I'm not focusing on the awesome job that Carlos, give it up for Carlos and the band. So sometimes I'm not focusing on the worship that is being placed before me, being led in the spirit by the band. But when I stop the strategizing and I get to worshiping, that's when the wisdom comes. So whatever it is you're feeling, come connect. Our prayer team will be down for you.